This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Violent predators are seeking refuge in, in this encampment in, in a public park. Tonight, the push to clear the Strathcona Park encampment after it's linked to a violent killing. Plus, we're having a quiet, safe Super Bowl. Why your Super Bowl celebration will be safer at a sports bar than at a gathering in your own home. And a home in Surrey is destroyed by fire. What saved the lives of those inside? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It's been almost a week since a BC senior was violently attacked in her own home in what has since become a manslaughter and murder investigation. One of two suspects arrested has ties to two tent cities which have plagued their Vancouver neighborhoods for more than two years. Now, as Kristen Robinson reports, there are calls for action beyond the camp's borders and within before another senseless tragedy occurs. Oh, you know, my name's Sandy Parisian. I'm also the mayor. Before he was nabbed near Strathcona Park, Sandy Parisian says he was in charge of another notorious homeless camp. I can explain. I'm the mayor of Oak Park. I can explain everything that goes on in the park. In October 2019, he appeared before Vancouver City Council. You're trying to disperse us. You have one problem. When you disperse us, you're going to have 380 problems. I'm one of the original six that came to this park. And we were here, it was peaceful, it was quiet. Police say Oppenheimer was a magnet for crime before the 18-month encampment was shut down last May. An innocent man murdered, several shootings, and an alleged 15-hour sexual assault at gunpoint. Parisian is believed to have been living in the Strathcona camp before he was arrested and charged with manslaughter in the home invasion death of Usha Singh. The 78-year-old died two days after she was viciously attacked by two men allegedly posing as police officers. 41-year-old Pascal Boutillette is accused of second-degree murder. Just get out! Police say they were swarmed and forced to call for backup when they executed a search warrant related to a tent and towed a trailer at Strathcona Park. I guess the notion that, that violent predators are seeking refuge in, in this encampment in, in a public park, enough is enough. But sadly predictable, um, so we're moving as quickly as we can. BC's housing minister says the province and its partners are on track to decamp Strathcona by the end of April. We could move faster, we would, because it's not a safe situation, and that we're going to do it in a way that the site will not uh, reactivate as an encampment. So we want people to be housed one time. We don't want people leaving that housing and returning to live outside. Parisian, who previously gave his SRO a bad review, is now in jail awaiting his next court date. I have housing, which you guys gave me. And I'm thankful for it. But it's a piece of crap. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
A fire broke out onto the Highway 1 overpass in Abbotsford this morning, a place where homeless people have been known to seek shelter. Firefighters were called to Riverside Road just after 10 o'clock this morning. Witnesses reported hearing a number of explosions. A homeless encampment has been located there. It's not known if anyone was hurt in the fire. Fraser Health now confirms one person at a Maple Ridge Secondary School was infected with the faster-spreading variant first of, UK, of COVID first found in the UK. They say the school case at Garibaldi Secondary School was infected with the B117 variant. They have found no evidence that it spread to others at the school. 87 staff and students were tested for the virus. Their tests have come back negative. As of Friday, there are 19 cases of the UK variant in BC and nine of the variant first detected in South Africa. An outbreak has been declared at Mountain View Manor in Delta after two staff members at the long-term care facility tested positive. Fraser Health says the infected staff members are isolating at home. They add the movement of staff and residents is being restricted as are visits. The outbreak at Royal Inland Hospital keeps growing. Interior Health now reports 101 cases, 35 patients and 66 staff members. That's up seven from yesterday and one person has died. There are 55 active cases. IH says it's conducting surveillance testing of staff throughout the hospital to try to catch any cases early that could be linked to the outbreak. Well, tomorrow is Super Bowl Sunday, a time many people do all the things we're, well, we're not allowed to do right now. Gather with people we don't live with, whether at home or at bars and restaurants. As Paul Johnson reports, health officials are pleading with us all to make sure the Super Bowl doesn't become a super spreader. Our modern take on the gladiator spectacle isn't just a massive commercial event. It's also now a bona fide cultural one as well. Just ask Vancouver's Paul Jordan how many Super Bowls he's ever missed. I was thinking about this the other day, and I think it's one. And like any ritual, certain traditions are kept. For Super Bowl, they are day drinking and gathering in close quarters to holler for hours. If you're an epidemiologist, worst nightmare are words that may come to mind. It's a perfect storm to have uh, cases spread. For the Americans to throw shade on something as sacred as Super Bowl is a measure of how seriously some doctors are worried. There are any number of things that could make this go sideways, not the least of which is alcohol. In the before time, Super Bowl is the second biggest party celebration day of the year after St. Patrick's Day. Jeff Guignard is an advocate for the bar and nightclub business, where expectations are clearly managed for this Sunday. But they'd like to point out, for those who will be gathering to drink and watch the game, after many months now, there's data to support the idea that they've got the safe service thing figured out. But at the end of the day, we will keep you safe because we are operating under the most stringent public health protocols ever issued for our industry. The average man cave can't compete with that. For the majority, who likely will follow the rules about gatherings. Other than the presence of Tom Brady, it's going to be a very different Super Bowl. A buddy in the bubble, bubble buddy. And uh, me sit on one side of the living room, hit on him on the other, and... Uh, Yell at the screen. <laughs> Phone up your buddies. Bonnie Henry will be very pleased to hear that. If we are uh, 
not able to control this and start seeing spread again, we can undo all the good work that we have done. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. And WorkSafe BC says it will be increasing inspections this weekend, specifically tied to Super Bowl gatherings at bars, pubs and restaurants. They're reminding business owners that they must have a COVID-19 safety plan in place in order to protect everyone in the workplace. It's the shot in the arm we've all been waiting for, but the Better Business Bureau is warning British Columbians not to share their COVID-19 vaccine cards online. Once immunized, the full vaccination record will be stored in the province's online database, but you can ask for a proof of vaccine card, which includes your name, date of birth, and details of the specific dose. While it may be tempting to share a photo of this online, experts say it could expose you to scammers. Instead, you're advised to share a vaccine sticker or set a frame around your profile picture. So you want to make sure you're not sharing that detail online because of the fact that it could make you vulnerable to identity theft. And at the same time, by sharing the card on social media, you're facilitating fraudsters. They have an idea of what the authentic card looks like, and they could be duplicating it and using it to take advantage of others. No matter how much you beef up your privacy settings on social media, you don't know who will be able to access that data or see what you're sharing. RCMP are stepping up targeted enforcement after six fatal gang-related shootings in Metro Vancouver in recent weeks. Burnaby RCMP's gang enforcement team checked a vehicle in the 4500 block of Still Creek Drive last night and seized $1,700 in cash, along with cell phones, weapons and prepackaged drugs suspected to be fentanyl. Police say the vehicle's owner has gang affiliations. The vehicle was towed. Burnaby RCMP are showing off the shocking items they recently found in the bedroom of a 17-year-old boy. Buckets of ammunition, weapons, meth and other packaged drugs all seized when a search warrant was executed. Police say the same youth is believed to have left a loaded handgun in a ride-hailing vehicle. Home smoke alarms are credited with saving the lives of two people in Surrey overnight. Fire broke out at a home near 128th Street and 100th Avenue just before midnight. Two people were asleep inside but were awoken by the alarms. One resident suffered minor burns. Firefighters knocked down the flames quickly. No word on the cause, but it's not considered suspicious. Crews say this could have been a very different story if the alarms had not gone off. Both residents were sleeping in the home and were awoken by smoke alarms. So the smoke alarms saved their lives tonight. And we cannot emphasize enough the importance of having working smoke alarms in your home. About seven hours later, firefighters in Surrey were called to the Clayton Heights neighborhood to put out a fire that engulfed a garage near 72A and 192nd. Crews managed to knock down the fire before it spread to the home. Five people inside the home were not hurt, but the roof of the garage was heavily damaged. Still no word on the cause of this fire either. A train crashed into a car in Langley this morning, just after 7.30. Our Global One helicopter captured the scene. The vehicle wedged underneath the front of the train on rail tracks near 96th Avenue and 216th Street. Emergency Health Services says no one was in the vehicle at the time of the crash. It's not clear how the car ended up on the tracks. 
A small village in northwestern B.C. remains cut off to vehicles after the only bridge into the remote community was badly damaged by road maintenance crews. Engineers from the Ministry of Transportation continue to assess the Kispiox Bridge north of Hazleton after a snowplow struck wing blade after the snowplow truck's wing blade, that is, clipped several of the bridge's wooden supports Thursday morning. The bridge is the only way vehicles can get in and out Kispiok Village, 90 kilometers north of Smithers, and home to about 750 people. Contractors are on site, but it's unclear how long it will take to repair the damage start of another Lunar New Year is less than a week away, but like every other cultural event for the past year, the public celebrations, including the annual Chinatown Parade, can't be held. And while there will be no crowds lining the streets, no children eagerly awaiting Lycee, those little red packages for good luck, as Nadia Stewart reports, the Year of the Ox will be celebrated regardless. Here is one from 2017. Looking at these old photos is as close as Annabelle Ho will get to the typical Chinese Lunar New Year celebrations. There's a feeling of sadness since we're not able to come together for the festivities this year. The community's celebrations are anything but somber. But as is the case with so many events over the past year, gathering restrictions mean they cannot do things as they normally do. This year's celebration is being shelved as families exchange the sights and sounds for something simpler. At the Chinese Cultural Center, this is a first. First time in 50 years, uh, there is no parade. This, uh, uh, and then so... Instead, we all turn to uh, online activity. Usually, in the normal given year, we would be performing around the Lower Mainland at this time, uh, in Vancouver's Chinatown, Richmond's Aberdeen Centre and Lansdowne Mall. Aberdeen Centre's full slate of events have moved on air to Fairchild TV. Despite all the changes, they're still trying to maintain some sense of normalcy. We still put up all the seasonal decorations. We still have the stage and then we decorate with uh, the, the ox because this year is the year of the ox. Under the Chinese zodiac, the ox is a symbol of hard work, strength, honesty and positivity. Staying positive is what so many have been doing over these last 12 months, finding a way forward despite the obstacles. Hopeful by the end of this year, things will be looking a lot brighter. Nadia Stirk, Global News. Residents of a neighborhood in New Westminster have responded in a big way to a local woman's request to help educate her young children about their Asian, Asian heritage. Dozens of homeowners in Sapperton answered the call from neighbor Elaine Sue, asking them to put up Lunar New Year decorations, similar to how people put out Christmas or Halloween decorations every year. She feels it will help teach her kids to recognize their culture on their street. Now, the red paper hangings are meant to symbolize good fortune and New Year wishes. Neighbors say it's a great alternative to not being able to watch the annual parade in Chinatown. I'm half Chinese myself and I don't really, we haven't really done this in the past, like maybe when the kids were younger. But it's kind of a a good way for us to reconnect. It's kind of like even you know, with the Christmas lights, you know, 
things looks nice and Chinese New Year's nice you know the red and <laughs> nice brighten up the day I mean usually you know we'll try to catch the lions you know the the dances or whatever and we you can't do anything like that right now right Police in southern Ontario say two people are dead and three others injured, including a young child and an infant, after a reported stabbing in the city north of Toronto. Morgan Campbell is at the scene. It is still very much an active scene here in Mount Albert. Two people are dead, including one individual shot by police. The province's Special Investigations Unit has invoked its mandate. Three other individuals have been injured. York Regional Police were called to this neighborhood about 45 minutes northeast of Toronto following reports of a stabbing. According to police, when officers arrived on scene, they located a female victim who was pronounced dead. There was allegedly an altercation between police and the suspect, which resulted in the shooting. Three others were rushed to hospital with serious injuries, including an infant, a young child, and another adult woman. Here is what Constable Laura Nicole had to say earlier this evening. I don't have any information just yet as far as what the relationship would have been or the connection. Um, there's nothing that suggests that this would have been random, so obviously that's going to be something we're looking at. Um, but uh, it's very, very early on. But people will see a strong police presence. We know this is a very quiet street and neighborhood, uh, and people are going to be worried when they see this type of presence. But we do want to reassure people that we're here, we're investigating. A warning about this next story. Some of you may find it difficult to watch. Ontario Provincial Police will independently investigate a police officer's conduct in the arrest of a 20-year-old man in downtown Barrie this week. I'm not even resisting. Get off of me! A video circulating on social media shows the police officer holding a suspect on the ground during an arrest. At one point, the officer hits him with a taser. Later, he smashes the suspect's head on the ground. The 20-year-old was charged with causing a disturbance and assault with an attempt to resist arrest. The officer has been reassigned to alternate duties pending the outcome of the investigation. In Montreal, calls are growing for accountability into a recent case involving the wrongful arrest of a black man. Police accused Mamadi, Fa Mamadi Farah Kamara of attempted murder of an officer following a traffic stop last month. Kamara spent six nights in jail before prosecutors dropped the charges when new evidence led to his release. For years, allegations of racial discrimination have plagued the Montreal police force. Advocates say Kamara's arrest is more evidence little has changed. People don't see change. All people see is every week, every month, there's a black person being mistreated and, uh, you know, being a victim of some sort of miscarriage of justice. Police maintain Kamara's case was not an example of racial profiling. Still, Montreal's mayor has apologized for the incident and she is calling for an inquiry. It is the most watched TV event in the U.S. The Super Bowl kicks off tomorrow in Tampa, Florida. And while fans there have already started celebrating the big game, this year's event already looks different. It is Super Saturday, just a day before the big game. But the party has already kicked off in Tampa. Go Chiefs fans gathering along the riverfront. Buccaneers, right where you'd expect. Go on the water. Oh, yeah. 
others showing up at Raymond James Stadium to take pictures and make predictions. We're optimistic we're going to make Kansas City walk the plank. The Chiefs walked off the plane this afternoon, the first team to arrive in the host city just a day before the game. The wait in part to keep them isolated and safe from COVID-19. For the fans, there are hundreds of sanitizing stations, strict mask requirements, and calls for social distancing. Still, there are crowds, but it's not nearly as packed as previous Super Bowls, thanks to the virus, which... Even at the Super Bowl, is no game. Jay Gray, NBC News, Tampa. U.S. President Joe Biden believes Donald Trump's erratic behavior should prevent him from receiving classified intelligence briefings. But I just think that there is no need for him to have that, that intelligence briefing. What value is giving him an intelligence briefing? What impact does he have at all other than the fact he might slip and say something? Biden did not elaborate on his concerns during his interview with CBS News, his first since being sworn in. Historically, former presidents are given access to classified intelligence briefings, but it's done as a courtesy, and it's at the discretion of the new commander-in-chief. Tens of thousands of people are pouring into the streets of Myanmar, also known as Burma, to protest a military coup that resulted in the arrest of elected leader Aung San Suu Kyi. The biggest protests are in the capital, but all are united in denouncing last week's coup. In response, military leaders have shut down the Internet in an attempt to stop people from mobilizing. Many households are also displaying red stickers on their windows for support. The country had previously been ruled by a similar military government for decades since the early 1960s. In Health Matters tonight, rapid COVID breath tests are set to roll out in the Netherlands. Starting this week, testing facilities in Amsterdam will introduce a special test called Spironose. The machine works similarly to a breathalyzer that detects alcohol. A person simply breathes into the machine, which can detect a coronavirus infection within minutes. Health experts say the machine is most reliable in detecting a negative test. A positive test should be followed up with a traditional navel, nasal swab test. Working outdoors may lower a woman's risk of breast cancer after the age of 50. Exposure to more sunlight boosts vitamin D levels, which is known to help prevent cancer and infection. Research published in Occupational Environmental Medicine found women who worked outdoors for 20 years or longer had a 17% lower risk of being diagnosed with breast cancer. We are going to meet a 97-year-old man who survived World War II pneumonia and covid his birthday celebration right after yvonne's forecast but first germany is getting some weird weather the sky over southwest germany has turned yellow from dust from the sahara that's right low pressure has carried the sand all the way from north africa and the temperature difference in the country between the north and the south could be as much as 36 degrees fahrenheit resulting in a lot of snow and a lot of flooding And this can't be fun. These are soldiers in Turkey carrying out their daily duties in deep snow as the temperature dipped to minus 30 Celsius. They're shoveling snow in a mountainous area trying to make their way to another military base. And this isn't uncommon in Turkey's southeast and eastern provinces. Holy smoke, Yvonne. I know it's getting cold here, but not like that. 
not nearly as cold, but we are going to see a drop in temperatures and a few spots across the province, even getting down to minus 20 as a daytime high. So I'll show you that in just a moment. A quick glance, though, we managed to squeeze out a few breaks across Metro Vancouver. Gorgeous shot. This one was captured above uh, Cypress Mountain and the sunset last night. Wanted to show this one. It was gorgeous out there. So thank you so much, Liz, for capturing that. Right now we're sitting at six degrees, but it is windy out there. We've got a sustained wind at 35 and we are seeing gusts right now, just over 40 kilometers per hour. A few other spots of note, we've seen wind gusts, for example, in Hope, closer to 60 kilometers per hour in areas near Victoria out of the harbour, just over 60. Currently, so we are out of Tawasson with gusts over 40, Victoria just over 30, and Hope right now still seeing uh, gusts over or close to 40 kilometers per hour. It'll continue to be windy overnight, and that'll be uh, leading us in towards our Sunday. Now, overnight tonight, it'll be chilly. We're down to two. We are going to see a pleasant day for tomorrow. We're back into a partly cloudy sky. We'll see more breaks in comparison to what we're seeing today, and temperatures will be up to seven. But we are still seeing snow in a significant amount. Snowfall warning along the Coquihalla and Allison Pass between 20 and up to 30 centimeters. The connector between four and up to eight. Most areas along the Sea to Sky, it'll be flurries, but near the village between two and up to four. And this continues, especially along the Coquihalla and Allison Pass to Sunday night. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Now we've got a special weather statement blanketing across the province. Temperatures are good to cool off. We can see our overnight lows and the trend for Metro Vancouver with the coldest days, minus 7 to minus 8. In a few spots, we'll see that temperature difference, especially for the interior, anywhere between 10 and up to 20 degrees below the average. These are highs for the central interior with Prince George, for example, on Tuesday just up to minus 20 and areas in the Okanagan on Wednesday with a high up to minus 11. So heads up, we've got cold Arctic air that'll push in across the province and we'll start to see it kick in Monday onwards and on Wednesday for most areas that'll likely be one of the colder days. We do have extreme cold for the northeastern corners of the province where the wind chill overnight minus 40 to minus 45. That is what it'll feel like for both Sunday and leading in towards Monday morning. Southern half of the province, it's really higher elevations once again along the mountain passes, significant snow. And for the south coast, we've got windy conditions for tomorrow paired with sunshine. Chilly into next week, but looks like we've got a fair bit of sunshine, so it'll be pleasant out there. Minus 7. Ooh, that is cold for us. <laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. A 97-year-old World War II veteran has just survived COVID-19, and members of his large family were able to celebrate his birthday with him today, from a distance at least. Happy birthday to you! Some of Peter Naren McConaughey's 12 grandchildren and 22 great-grandchildren sang happy birthday to him from a Delta Park as he watched from the balcony of the care facility he returned home to today on his 97th birthday. He managed to beat the odds overcoming both COVID-19 and pneumonia. He was really close to going. He wasn't, it was, looked like he wasn't gonna make it. He was on oxygen and his, he has a respiratory issue. He got pneumonia while he was there, and we really assumed that he wasn't going to make it. And, and astonishingly, about two weeks ago, it turned around, and yesterday, they let him out of the hospital, and he's back in his place now. Isn't that fabulous? And, of course, his family had a T-shirt made for him that says, 97 years old, survived World War II and COVID-19. What a survivor. I love it. Happy birthday. No kidding. Such a tough a guy. guy. Canucks could use that kind of thing. No kidding. <laughs>
<laughs> Barry, Won't what say no for an answer. No, uh, exactly. Yeah, tough days continue for the Canucks. Uh, riding a three-game losing streak going into Toronto tonight is going to be four. They're in the late stages, down 5 nothing. Canucks, uh, it's just one of those games, again, where they had some opportunity to get back in it. But uh, hockey God's not on their side mm. right now. And the Leafs are really good. So bad combination. But we'll have highlights of that coming up. Okay, thanks. About a week away. The owners of a flower shop in Edmonton say COVID-19 travel restrictions are a thorn in their side. Not because they want to leave, but because of what they want to bring in. Global's Chris Chacon explains. When it comes to Valentine's Day, roses are one of the most sought-after gifts but getting one or a dozen this year may be harder than you think. With uh, the whole issue of COVID, we're having a lot of flight delays as well due to inspections, outbreaks, things like that. Roses are just one of many flowers imported into Canada from the tropics. And with the federal government's temporary ban on flights to and from warmer destinations, Nicola Lapp says travel restrictions may interrupt regular shipments for the big day. The concern would be if the product didn't show up and we have people who've already booked orders, what do we do at that point? This isn't the first time the flower shop has faced this issue. At the beginning of the pandemic, back in March when this all started, we were experiencing uh, shortages because Holland had closed its uh, flights out. So all the flowers that would have been transported from Europe were no longer available. Lapp says if shipments continue to be a problem, they will turn to local growers. But that comes with added costs. There's actually a lot of Canadian-grown roses that we're seeing on the market now. They do tend to be more expensive just because of the, the way that they're grown here. Um, shorter growing seasons, some more greenhouse grown, it tends to drive the price up a little bit higher. Lap encourages anyone wanting a particular flower or arrangement to pre-order or take your chances. With the way things are now, I would definitely consider pre-ordering. That way you're not left high and dry and, you know, scrambling last minute. I'll probably still risk it last minute i if there was something specific i knew would do the trick i would probably come early but um my wife's not super picky so i should be okay and if the flower you want isn't there lap says there are a wide variety of options or you can just stick to that heart-shaped box of chocolates chris Chacon, global news a tradition with a new twist why the upcoming Puppy Bowl is drawing even more attention this year. We'll have that story for you right after sports. And just ahead of Barry, Beijing will light the Olympic flame for a second time with a blazing ribbon. Organizers unveiled the torch design for the 2022 Olympic Winter Games to kick off the one-year countdown to the Olympic torch debut at the ceremony, or rather, the torch debuted at a ceremony in the National Aquatic Center. The curling competition will take place in 2022, marking the start of the 365-day countdown to the opening of the Games on February 4th. Um, it's interesting, Barry, that all of this fanfare is happening about the Beijing Games when the Tokyo Games haven't even happened yet. Yeah, we're, we're hoping those summer games will, uh, will happen. It yeah. sounds like it's on, but uh, as we know, Colleen, these days you don't take anything for granted. No in the COVID times. All right, thanks so much. Well, uh, desperate times call for desperate measures and for the Canucks, that meant Louis Erickson slotted into the lineup tonight. Yes, it's gotten that bad. Although Louis is much more dependable defensively and that's a big reason why uh, underachievers Jake Vertanen, Zach McEwen and Adam Gaudet are sitting out tonight. Justin Bailey also making his season debut. He can skate, has some finish with uh, but would any of that be enough to beat the mighty Maple Leafs tonight? Braden Holtby expecting a busy night. And he was right. Early power play for the Leafs. Wayne Simmons all alone, patient, and then zips at top shelf. one nothing Leafs. Simmons has been pretty productive. His fourth as a Leaf. 
The last thing Travis Green wanted was another early deficit, Canucks 0-7 when surrendering the first goal. It took the Canucks nine minutes to get a shot, but Justin Bailey showing some hustle in his first NHL game in a year, but stopped by Freddie Anderson. But the Leafs' talent level is ridiculous. What a play by Austin Matthews. Walks around a flat-footed Jalen Chatfield, then goes bar down on Holpe. What a goal by Austin. Seventh straight game he scored, ninth of the year, 2-0 Leafs. Canucks power play, Elias Pettersson can really rip it. He beats Anderson, but off the crossbar. He leads the league with seven poster crossbars. Isn't that a great Canucks stat? 2-0 after one. Second period, maybe the luck will change. Pettersson open net, but the puck hops over his stick. That is disheartening. Moments later, Leafs add another. Zach Hyman, he won't miss an open net. Miko Lettinen, the young Leaf D-man with the nice feed there. 3-0 Toronto. Canucks need the next one. And they got it, or at least they thought they did. JT Miller hammers in the one-timer. But wait a minute. Hold the celebration. Leafs challenge for offside, and it's not even close. Top of the screen, Nils Hoaglander a little anxious. No goal. Remains 3-0. Another kick in the gut for the Canucks. 3-0 after two. Third period, Braden Holtby clearing pass off the boards. Perfect to Austin Matthews. Quick release for his league-leading 10th. Holtby knows that's on him, although he was upset with JT Miller. Bad communication, I guess. Moments later, Leafs get another. Miko Lettinen with the shot. Perfect deflection by Wayne Simmons. His second of the night, fifth of the year, 5-0 Leafs. Ninth time in 15, the Canucks have surrendered five or more. Late in the game on the power play, Quinn Hughes shot tipped in by Brock Besser. A consolation goal, but little consolation. The Canucks are lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. 5-1 the final. Fourth straight loss. Canadians and Senators, for some reason, the Habs have trouble with Ottawa. It's the only team the Canucks have really dominated. Sens beat Montreal 3-1 the other night. First parade, though. Habs get the jump. Sens can't clear. Jeff Petrie hammers the point shot past Matt Murray. Power play goal, 1-0. Senators get it back, though, also on a power play. Colin White will just poke it through Jake Allen. Ties it up 1-1. Early third. Habs get one chance, two chances. Lucky third chance for Josh Anderson, his eighth of the year. He's been everything and more since being acquired from Columbus. Habs win 2-1. They're now 8-2-2. And And one more NHL. Penguins and Islanders. New York struggling. Last in the East Division. Tied 2-2 in the third. Jake Gensel gives the Penguins the lead off the feed from Sidney Crosby. 3-2 Penguins. But the Isles tied it. And then on a late power play, Matthew Barzell helped set up the game winner by Anders Lee, who pokes it past Surrey's Tristan Jari in the Penguin net. 4-3. Islanders get the win. Super Bowl 55 goes tomorrow in Tampa Bay. Tom Brady is playing in his record 10th championship game. He's won six of the previous nine, but his Bucks are a three-point home underdog against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. KC will try to become the first repeat champ since Brady's Patriots did it in 2003 and 2004. More now from our champ, Chanel, in the Super Bowl edition of the Red Zone. The Bucks' defense was in the top six during the regular season and has been dominant during the playoffs. Seven sacks, five interceptions, and have scored 42 points off turnovers in those three victories. But their biggest challenge will be defending the pass as KC burned the Bucks back in Week 12 when Patrick Mahomes threw for 462 yards and three touchdowns. 
Tom Brady goes for his seventh Super Bowl ring on Sunday. Now, he's thrown seven touchdowns in the playoffs, but he was picked off three times in Green Bay and had several throws that were just a bit off. Still, he knows how to win and does have a balanced ground game as Leonard Fournette ran for 211 yards in those three postseason victories. Now, Brady also has receiving weapons. Godwin, Evans, Brait have combined for 35 receptions and four touchdowns in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes goes for his second straight Super Bowl win, and with his list of weapons, you'd have to like his chances. Just in the playoffs, Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey have 38 catches, more than 500 yards, and three touchdowns combined. And Tyree Kill did torch the Bucks back in Week 12 for 269 yards and three touchdowns. Now, despite being healthy, Mahomes is still dealing with a bit of a foot injury, which could limit his ability to move out of the pocket on Sunday. The defense, which started off a bit shoddy, has turned a corner of late. In the last three meaningful games, two interceptions, nine sacks, and caused four turnovers. And KC did hold Brady in check back in Week 12, giving up just a couple of late, meaningless touchdowns, and did pick him off twice in the same stadium they'll meet Sunday afternoon. The Chiefs are favored by a field goal, and here's an interesting Super Bowl stat. The favorite has won and covered in three of the last four championship games. All right, tennis from Melbourne. Tune-up event before the Aussie Open starts tomorrow afternoon our time. Montreal's Felix Auger-Aliassime in the semis of the Murray River Open, taking on France's uh, Corentin Moutet. Felix won the first set thanks to the ace, then the beautiful backhand return drops in. And then the forehand winner hammers another return winner. And for good measure will rip the two-fisted backhand. Felix Auger-Aliassim wins at 6-1-6-2. He'll meet Britain's Daniel Evans in the final in just an hour's time. Felix 0-6 in his young career in ATP Tour Finals. Third round of the Waste Management Phoenix Open, and Jordan Spieth made the big move. He's struggled horribly the past few years. His game has really crumbled. Hasn't won since 2017, but is on his way back, and man, was he making everything today. Pitching uh, greenside on the 10th, that goes down. For a birdie. Then at 16 from 37 feet. He's one of the best long range putters in golf. This one goes down for birdie. Usually 40,000 drunk fans at 16. They've allowed just 5,000 because of COVID, but still lots of energy. And Jordan keeps it going on 17. Another bomb. This one from 30 feet. 10 birdies today, a career high. Shot 61. He's at 18 under. Lots of people cheering for Jordan, one of the good guys in golf. But Xander Schofley keeping pace, sinks the birdie at 14. He's tied at the top at 18 under. Corey Connors, top Canadian at 8 under. He's tied 25th. Adam Hadwin had a miserable day, 2 over 73. He's 61st in the 66-man field. NBA tonight, Raptors coming off that big win in New Jersey last night, visiting the Atlanta Hawks. Norm Powell, very productive as a starter, driving the basket, lays it in. 8 in the first for Powell. 34, 28 wraps after one. Second quarter, Van Vliet to Chris Boucher, the Canadian, throwing it down. Updated score right now in the third. Atlanta leads by 10. English Premiership, second place, Man United against sixth place, Everton. First half already 1-0 United. They add another a fantastic looping shot from Bruno Fernandez, who coolly picks his spot. 2-0 Man United at half, but Everton roar back. Hamas Rodriguez loads up the left footer, finds the corner. It's 2-2. 
But United reclaimed the advantage off the free kick, craftily headed in by Scott McTominay, 3-2 Man U, but in stoppage time, literally the final kick of the game, Everton cash in, Dominic Calvert-Lewin rescues a big point for Everton, 3-3 the final, United two points back of first place Man City, and they've played two more matches. And a sad note from the world of boxing, former world heavyweight champ Leon Spinks has died after a five-year battle with cancer. Spinks beat Muhammad Ali for the heavyweight title in 1978 in a split decision that was considered one of the biggest upsets in boxing history. Spinks also won a gold at the 1976 Olympics in Montreal, but there was no bigger moment for Spinks when he shocked the world against Ali. Leon Spinks was 67. There is a sports spectacular where everyone wins this Super Bowl. The plays are pretty rough, but they will make you smile and may even leave you with a new best friend. After a year where it seemed all of America adopted a dog. That's a five-yard penalty. It's a big one. How perfect that Puppy Bowl is supersized. I feel like we need puppies more than ever this year. 70 puppies, all from shelters and rescues. Discovery Plus and Animal Planet making it easy to connect with adoptable pets in real time. So if I see a puppy on there that I really love, I'll Mm -hmm. be able to find out more about it? Not only will you be able to find out more about it, they can connect you directly with that shelter or rescue group. Like Pets with Disabilities, a Maryland rescue, saving special dogs like Jet. He has no idea he doesn't have his front legs. He still runs and plays. Foofer survived a house fire, then found her forever home in 2020. She's spending her time basking in the sun. She's got a a yard to romp and play in. A game where everyone walks away a winner. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News. We want to introduce you to one more Puppy Bowl contender. Right here. (laughs) Yeah, that's eight-month-old Marshall, and he's on the starting roster for Team Fluff at Puppy Bowl 17. What separates him from the pack is that he's hard of hearing. His owners hope that he showcases how special and adoptable deaf dogs really are. Just because they can't hear you doesn't mean they won't always love you. (laughs) I have a deaf dog in my life, my girlfriend's dog, and uh, she is adorable. All you have to do is make sure you talk right to her face. (laughs) She can read your lips. They can feel it. (laughs) And they understand treats. You don't have to, they don't have to hear yep. that word. They understand that treats. Real quick look at the weather phone before we go. It's going to be chilly, uh, but dry over the next few days. A heads up, especially on Wednesday, Thursday. We've got overnight lows down to minus 7, so we're going to need to bundle up. Uh, but it is going to be nice and dry for our Sunday. Oh, thank goodness. That's the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11. Stay with us now for the new reality. Good night.